This is the smell of the leftover tuna fish sandwich you left in your lunchbox over the weekend in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! Blech! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag. Hefty, hefty, hefty! Ah, smell the difference? Hefty Ultra Strong has Arm & Hammer with continuous odor control, so no matter what's inside your trash. Hmm. You can stay one step ahead of Stinky. And for bigger jobs, try the superior strength of Hefty Large Black Bags. Welcome to The X-Files, Stories of Life After God. This special feature of the Life After God podcast explores stories of diverse people who have left the faith and religion they grew up with. In each episode, individuals will share in their own words how and why their worldview changed, the gains and losses associated with their religious and spiritual transition, the lessons they've learned in the process, and what their life is like now. To learn more about The X-Files and the Life After God podcast, please visit our website at lifeaftergod.org. Special thanks to Ian Gordon for the use of the theme music, The Truth Is Out There. If you would like to consider sharing your story in a future episode of The X-Files, please send a short email to ryan at lifeaftergod.org. I remember thinking, well, if I don't believe in anything, what if I'm wrong? And what if I end up going to hell? That's Sierra Ramirez. And it kind of just dawned on me that I thought, if I believe in something... It's going to be because it's true. It's not going to be because I'm afraid that I'll be wrong if I don't believe in it. I cannot let fear hold me back from finding out what is true. Today on The X-Files, I speak to Sierra Ramirez. Sierra was born and raised in New Mexico, but for the past couple of years has called Austin, Texas her home. As you'll see, she's a thoughtful and articulate woman. She's a theater actor, currently puppeteering in a local puppet opera production, she loves hiking, kayaking, going to the movies, and good beer. We begin our conversation talking about Sierra's early religious experiences, her conversion to Christianity, and her eventual growth out of religion. Sierra also speaks vulnerably about her lifelong struggle with depression. She's recently taken some courageous steps towards her own well-being, and I'm honored she was willing to share her story with all of us. So I grew up Catholic, and when I was a kid, I thought it was so boring. <laughs> um, going to Mass, I just didn't find it very interesting. My mom would sometimes make us pray the rosary as a family, and I thought, well, I'd rather be watching cartoons than this. And right, um, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I grew up in a single-parent home, and my mom would always encourage us to pray. Uh, my parents were divorced, and my mom you know, we would gather as a family and pray for my dad to come back. And I remember one point in, in my life, I was 10 years old. My little brother said, dear God, please bring my daddy back. And I said, that's never going to happen. My mom said, no, you have to keep praying. And so I did, but you know, it, my prayers were never answered. <laughs> and, um, but when I was 13, I went on my first retreat and, in one weekend, I gave my life over to Jesus, even though I didn't know too much about him. Uh, but I, you know, I learned what more what it meant to be Catholic. I learned more about the Eucharist and why it was so important in the Catholic faith and really got on that retreat high. And 
I think that's something that uh, that I've noticed about a lot of people, and I, I've also even noticed that when I got back from ApostaCon, is just this retreat high that you have, and you kind of base your life on this really good feeling that you have, and you base your faith on that. But when things kind of start to, you know, go back to normal, and you start sinning again, then you start to feel the guilt, and it's kind of this it's kind of just one extreme to the next. So it's kind of an emotional roller coaster, isn't it? It is. It is. And growing up as a teenager, you know, you, I mean, you don't know anything right. <laughs> or you don't know, you don't know everything. I shouldn't say you don't know anything, but you don't know everything. And so you're kind of basing your life on these feelings that you have, um, you know, these highs and these lows and, you know, you don't realize that that's not your identity, but, um, Anyway, so I went to retreats on and off again in high school, and when I was in my early 20s, I actually did full-time retreat ministry for uh, elementary, middle school, and high school kids, and uh, I did that for two years, Hmm. and it was a very, um, it was a good experience, but it was also very hard because I joined with other young adults um, that were Catholic, but you know, we all kind of grew up in different, you know, we all had different walks of life. I had some Catholic people who were homeschooled. They had, you know, they had never kissed a boy. Um, I grew up in a single parent home, you know, having still felt guilty about losing my virginity and thinking that I was too dirty for someone to marry me. Um, There was also people who um, were kind of I guess you could say they weren't homeschooled, but they didn't have like these crazy stories to tell like I did. And every day was Catholic. I mean, my life, that was what my life was. We would go to mass every day. We would pray as a group every day. We would pray alone every day. Um, We would do you know, we would do recreational activity and we would hang out, but it kind of just felt like life was all about Jesus and the Catholic church. And (laughs) it was, right. (laughs) It was, you know, just, um, it's funny because we did training and I mean, I asked myself like, why would I go to a Catholic college? I feel like I got all of the education about Catholicism for free in two hours. (laughs) Wow. Yeah. So, I mean, I learned a lot about the Catholic Church. Um, I would give talks on confession and the Bible when we would do retreats. Um, You know, I knew all about the devotion to Mary and the rosary. I mean, I could pretty much back up a lot of what I believed. And um, not only that, but I also felt like I had a relationship with Jesus. Hmm. And... um, you know, I would talk to Jesus as if he were my friend, as if he were, quote unquote, the lover of my soul, because <laughs> that's no, how I know people it well. were. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, you know, when I when I left the ministry, because they only allowed us to do two years of it because they want you to go live a normal life. Um, when I left the ministry, it was kind of a huge culture shock coming back into the world and, and not everybody lived a religious life. And there was always just the pressure to bring people to Christ and, you know, what I believed was his church. And uh, so I kind of felt like my faith was validated by bringing people to, to 
the Catholic faith. And what, there was one day, I'll, I'll get into my deconversion, there was one day where I went to Mass, which that, if you don't know what that is, that's the, that's the Catholic Church service. And I would always pray after, after church and just sit and pray. And so there was one day I was praying and I was in front of the tabernacle, which Catholics believe the tabernacle holds the physical presence of Jesus. So I believed that I was right in front of Jesus praying. And there was just this thought that popped up into my mind. Think, and I thought, okay, I am told that this is the one true church. This is the one true faith. And, you know, we have the fullness of truth. But what if there is someone on the other side of the world somewhere who believes exactly the same thing as I do, but they are a Muslim or a Jew or they're Hindu and they are convinced as much as I am that they are the ones that have truth. And so, so I kind of just thought a lot about that and, you know, I was going to school at the time and was taking a philosophy, ethics, and society class. We did the God debate. Um, I was also taking a human sexuality class and decided to just open my mind to the thought that, well, maybe Catholicism isn't the true church. Hmm. Maybe Catholicism isn't truth. And it went. I went from this devout Catholic to, okay, I have a relationship, but not a religion phase. But then I remember reading about what Jesus said about lust, and I was like, I don't think I agree with Jesus on this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I with I thought, well, if I don't agree with him, and he's supposedly God, is this is it bad to not agree with him? Can I have my own opinion about this? Wow. And and. Then I started to go through this spiritual but not religious phase and because I wanted so badly to hold on to the belief in something because it was comfortable. And so I did a lot of yoga and I would talk to people and say, well, what if God is a he or a she or if God is a they, you know, there's many gods and goddesses that I could honor with my body and my breath and prayers or communication, what have you. And uh, so I went through that spiritual but not religious phase. And then I ended up moving from New Mexico to Austin, Texas, which Austin is, you know, it's pretty secular compared to the Southwest where I grew up. That's predominantly Catholic. And um, I kind of didn't really have I didn't really have like this community out here. And so I got a chance to just be by myself and kind of think about it for myself. And I remember thinking, well, if I don't believe in anything, what if I'm wrong? And what if I end up going to hell? Mm. And it kind of just dawned on me that I thought, if I believe in something, it's going to be because it's true. It's not going to be because I'm afraid that I'll be wrong if I don't believe in it. I cannot let fear hold me back from finding out what is true. Mm. And so that's when it just, that's when I was able to just accept, okay, I, I don't believe in God. I don't believe in anything supernatural and I'm going to explore this and I'm going to accept it. 
So this all happened pretty quickly for you, like the first recognition that, wow, there's Hindus and Buddhists and Muslims that are as convinced as me. And from that point, that first little, you know, splinter, as it were, in your mind, a little sliver of doubt to the point where you said, okay, I'm comfortable not believing in God. I mean, that sounds like it took, what, a couple of years in college? Yeah, I would say a couple of years. And even I think by the time that, like I said, by the time that I didn't have school to influence me or I didn't have people kind of just talking to me about, oh, no, just pray about it or just right. have faith or, you know, by the time, like I said, I could think about it for myself. That's when I came to the conclusion, like, OK, I don't really believe in this anymore. So I would say it take a couple of years for the transition to happen. It's interesting because I gave my life to Jesus in one weekend, just overnight. Mm. <laughs> and it took a couple of years to just leave all of that. Was it mostly the, just sort of the intellectual part, like the the philosophical concepts that, you know, these things don't add up, that there are these mutually incompatible ideas that, or or that, that Christianity offers itself as the truth without really providing any evidence. And then, like you said, there are the world religions and all that. Was it all kind of these ideas that kind of chipped away at your faith? I think it was, um, I think it was just kind of, you know, the lack of evidence. I will say that um, I started reading some blogs. Um, I, I have to give a shout out to Neil Carter because Godless and Dixie pointed out a lot of, um, inconsistencies in scripture. And that kind of made me think a lot about that. I also, um, you know, just kind of with school and also just the lack of evidence, you know, I, I have never seen an angel. I've never seen a demon. Um, I would think about things like, Oh, my prayers are answered, but maybe it was just coincidence or maybe, did, did you praying know, for your dad to come home, did that come back to you as a memory when you're going through this? Um, You know, I think when I was religious, uh, when I prayed for my dad to come home, my parents ended up just being friends and being civil with one another. They oh, never yeah. got back together. And I think to me, like, I just thought, okay, well... It's not the ideal situation for a married couple, but I'm really happy with where they are now. And so I it guess was a it, kind of answer to prayer. It was. You it kind was of kind of like as that. Yeah, it was just like, oh well, this is God's way of answering my prayer. There you go. There you, go. <laughs> you know, it's like it doesn't matter how your prayer is answered because it's going <laughs> to be answered anyway, <laughs> according to His will. So it doesn't. You know, you, you pray for something and then you add, you know, according to your will. And of course, God's will is above ours and we don't know what he really wants. And so no matter what happens, it can be understood as God's will being done, right? Yeah. You know, it's funny. There was one time this kind of brings up a memory from when I was a teenager um, going through my rebellious phase, too. Um, but there was one night I had sneaked out of my house and I got together with some friends and we played a Ouija board oh, wow. and it was just, it was just this little plastic Milton Bradley piece of crap Ouija board. And, um, the next day I, I went to, to confession with a priest and told him about it and, and think I, and nothing had ever 
come out of it. I never felt like I was being possessed. I never felt like I had any kind of demonic harm to myself or my family. And I used to just think, oh, it's because I went to confession. But years later, I thought about it and I thought, well, the people that I played this with didn't confess it or didn't feel bad about it. And as far as I know, nothing ever happened to them. So (laughs) I'm pretty sure it's just because nothing is going to (laughs) happen. But did the priest feel that it was, you know, a, a big sin? Um, you know, I'm not sure if I even remember. Um, yeah, yeah. he, he probably, if I'm think if I'm thinking of the right priest, he's, he was probably one of those. It's like, well, it's good that you acknowledge that. And I'm glad that you're here and your sins are absolved at the end. <laughs> yeah, Right next. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. So by this time you're a young adult sort of out of college, right? And yeah. sort of settling into this idea that there's no God and it's okay and you'd rather know the truth about the world than um, live in a, in a fiction. Right. And then was so along the way, how did this how did this affect you personally? I mean, both inside your own like psyche and emotions, but also with your family and friends. What was the what was the fallout like? Was it was it like pretty smooth or was it rough? Well, you know, it kind of just depends on the person um, that was in my life. Uh, when I started coming out over Facebook, um, I mean, some people kind of already, some people that I had done the youth ministry with kind of already knew that I was really questioning what I believed and that I wasn't really Catholic anymore. Um And some people, I remember I posted something about atheism and saying that I was an atheist and, and somebody reached out to me over Facebook messenger and said, what was it that Christians did that, that hurt you so bad that you decided to no longer be a Christian anymore? Oh yeah. And, and I, you know, and I told, I told them what I thought. I said, no, it, it has nothing to do with that. It's, it's me wanting to know the truth, what is true. And I remembered saying, I remembered saying to them, well, even if there is a God, I mean, I've devoted so much of, I devoted so much of my life to him. I've done good things. I'm still doing good things. And if there is a God, and I mean, I don't think I just, I don't think I've done anything that deserves eternal torture. Right. And I remember this. Yeah. yeah. (laughs) I remember this person just saying, well, it's not about how you start the race. It's about how you finish it. And Oh my. I I thought okay, well, <laughs> that's that, you know. Um but I think the hardest I think the hardest person to come out to was my mom. Uh she was the last person to find out. Hmm. And it was after I went to Apostacon, you know, I felt very comfortable with who I was and felt like it brought out a lot of good in me and it was great to meet other people and um it just, it felt, it felt awesome. But I had this little, this little itch that it's like, your mom doesn't know your mom's the last person to know. And you need to let, you need to talk to her about this and just tell her. And I remember just getting really emotional because I knew that no matter what she would love me, but I was kind of the last person out of my siblings to leave the church. And my mom would always just kind of rely on me to 
to keep the faith going, to, to hold it together. And so I finally just, I called her and she didn't answer, you know, so I was like, yes, I get to leave a voicemail. <laughs> right. And, um, I just said, look, I went to this conference and it was a conference for atheists, agnostics, and humanists. And, and mom, I, I'm not Catholic anymore. I don't believe in God anymore, but I want you to know that I still have good judgment. I'm still a responsible person. I'm still, I still want to do good. I still believe that people are capable of doing good things. And I hope that you can accept that and love me for it. Hmm. And she called me back and left a message. And she said, I just want you to know that I love you and I'll never stop loving you. And, and that's okay. You know, if you don't believe the same things anymore. And when I finally did talk to her about it, you know, she asked me kind of the same questions that you're asking me. Um, well, how did I come to this belief? Um, and I said, mom, you know, you just have to be open and I want to know, I want to believe what's true. And I said, and she brought up some scripture and I don't know exactly which verse it is, but she said it's something having to do like if you find a pearl or something precious, you hold on to it. And um, for her, like that was her belief in God and scripture. And I said, well, mom, what if something more valuable comes along and are you just going to let it pass you by? You know, what if, what if something that is more true comes along? <laughs> well, Are you just going to? Yeah. I mean, there's a, that's a parable that Jesus told the pearl of great price. And oh, in that okay. same, <laughs> in that same collection of parables, there's another story about a man who finds, uh, he's plowing his field for someone else. And it's like, he's just working there. And as he's plowing the field, he finds this great treasure and he goes home. He doesn't tell anyone he talks to his wife. They sell everything that they have to buy the field because what's in the field is of ultimate value. Like he sells everything. To, and so, of course, the story in the Bible is meant to uh, to say, like, you know, you sacrifice everything for this, you know, to follow Jesus. Um, but I, I, I heard in what you just said kind of an echo of that parable, too. Like, what if you find something better? Yeah. <laughs> That's really interesting. What did she yeah. say? What did she say when you when you mentioned that? Uh, she said, well, she said, well, that's I don't know that she, you know, she kind of didn't really know what to say. She she thought that that might have she thought that that was a good point. And it was kind of it was like she had to think about it. Sure. And, you know, but she's still, you know, she's still very religious. She's still Catholic and um you know, she makes little comments here and there. Oh, the Bible is so awesome. Or if we, if we're riding in the car, she'll say, can you play a Christian song? And <laughs> <laughs> she tries to drop little hints. And, and I think the funniest thing that my mom, uh, my mom has reacted to this is that she said, oh, I'm not going to get you guys Christmas presents because none of my kids are Christians anymore. And my siblings got super upset about that, but I thought it was hilarious. Like <laughs> I was, I was just like, I was like, okay, like that's, that's pretty funny. And so she doesn't call it a Christmas present. She just calls it a gift, but that's okay. Because personally, I don't even really like Christmas very much anyway. So, oh, and 
all I all I wanted for Christmas last year was a blender, which I ended up getting it for myself anyway. <laughs> <laughs> At first, when you said that, I thought maybe she checked her list and she checked it twice, and you'd been naughty and not nice, you know, since you left Faith. And <laughs> yeah, and it, I mean, all I wanted was a blender, and I didn't get it, but I got it for myself. So. <laughs> I like to give out gifts for Christmas. You know, I personally don't like to, I mean, it's fine if you get me something, I'm not going to reject it, but I kind of like to go shopping for friends and family and, and, you know, it's like they say, it's better to give and than receive sometimes, but. <laughs> right. So it was, you know, coming out to your mom was challenging, but she accepted it well, it sounds like. Yeah, she did. Um, it's interesting because all of my siblings have left Catholicism. My two younger brothers identify as atheist. My hmm. two older sisters identify as agnostic. Um, and my dad also identifies as an atheist. And my, my mom is just always like, or that was another thing that my mom said. She said, I, I raised all my kids in the church and then they left. <laughs> and it's like, well, I told her, I said, I can't speak for my siblings, but I know one thing's for sure is that I am just seeking truth. And that's, that's what I want from life. And, um, I guess another thing, uh, another thing with like friends is, um, you know, they, I had a friend once, once mentioned to me, well, I'm Catholic and I believe that Catholicism is the way to truth. And I remember telling him, well, I don't want the way to truth. I want truth itself. Why is there one way to truth? You know, there's so many different aspects to the way we seek out truth. Yeah, and exactly. And and I think another thing that kind of led me to exploring not believing was perception you know, if one person looks at something one way and another person looks at something another way, uh, you know, which is the truth? And that was something that question that got me questioning, especially about the Gospels. Um, you know, it's it's like you have these people. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, you had these people go out and they asked a bunch of people about Jesus, what he said, what he did. But I mean. I can't even remember something exactly the way it happened yesterday. <laughs> exactly. I don't know how I don't know how people can go out and and exa remember exactly what Jesus said or did 30 something years after he died. And um also, you know, we don't know what he was thinking. We don't we don't know the tone of what he had said. Um so I, I like to think of that movie The Truman Show and my favorite part is when mm -hmm. Truman's when uh, you know, we watch this man's entire life. And my favorite quote is when Truman says, well, there were no cameras in my head. <laughs> yes. And, and I kind of think about that with Jesus. You know, it's like we claim that we knew everything about his life and what he said and that he's God. But we were never inside of his head and we weren't there to experience him firsthand. And um, so... I just don't know how that could possibly be true. Naturally, while Sierra was struggling with her faith, a lot of other things were taking place in her life. Her growing doubts around the claims of Christianity weren't the only thing on her mind. She was also struggling with depression that she largely kept to herself, that she dealt with by praying and trying harder to be happy. On July 30th, Sierra posted these remarkably vulnerable words 
on her Facebook page that got my attention. She wrote, I've been thinking a lot about whether or not I would share this, but I heard that vulnerability is often a sign of courage rather than acting like you have it all together. A little over a month ago, I admitted myself to a psychiatric hospital for major depression. I won't go into too much detail, but I needed to get help because I was feeling helpless, hopeless, and worthless. I'm glad I made the brave decision to get help rather than just suffer through it on my own again. I learned a lot about other people, myself, about empathy and sympathy. I learned a lot about what triggers my depression and anxiety. I learned that I'm not crazy, just human. I also learned that even when I feel my self-worth has been axed to the ground, I still have roots. I spoke deeply about my life to social workers, doctors, techs, and psychiatrists, and learned that I have put so much on the back burner for years. I also met some of the most beautiful people I can relate to that I still call friends. In our suffering, we found hope. We found learning. We found each other. Overall, it was a good experience that saved and changed my life. There is so much stigma surrounding mental illness, and yet it's so normal and so common. People just suffer in silence. I want you to know that there is so much in seeking help. I now see a therapist, spend more time with family and friends, and I'm beginning to paint and find ways of coping that are healthy. Please, if you're experiencing a tough time, know you can talk to me or I can help you find resources to help you get out. Because life is beautiful, even with the nasty times, and should be lived and not just survived. I still have difficult moments, but I'm able to recognize that they will come and go, and I will always have the good times and good people. Thank you. This post really got my attention, as I said, and the attention of so many of her friends. It has 105 likes or reactions on Facebook and dozens and dozens of comments, including one from me, uh, after which I direct messaged her on Facebook and asked her if she would come on the show. And so in the second part of the interview, she talks about her experience of depression, how she got through it, and what she's doing now to live a more fulfilling life. I hope you can draw as much hope and courage from her story as I did. Here again is Sierra Ramirez. So I have dealt with depression on and off again since I was a teenager. Uh, in my early 20s, especially when I was doing youth ministry, I dealt a lot with depression and you know, I'd have to put on a happy face to do these retreats and talk about the goodness of God and Jesus. But on the inside, I was suffering greatly. Hmm. But uh, I, as a Catholic, I believed that my suffering had meaning. And if I was suffering, I was finding favor with God. And, and I personally think that's a bunch of bullshit. (laughs) I don't know if I can say that on your podcast. You can. You can say whatever (laughs) you want. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, But I've always always been a pretty bubbly, um, enthusiastic person. And a lot of times, but I still suffer from depression. And a lot of times when people find that out, they say, I never would have, I never would have guessed that you seem like one of the happiest people I know. And Mm -hmm. it's like, well, I still have, I'm still human. I still have emotions. I can, I still experience sadness, but (laughs) (laughs) um, depression for me, I guess the best way to describe it, because I've been thinking about it the past few days, the best way to describe it is that I feel like the real me is trapped beneath sadness, fatigue, lack of uh, motivation and interest. And, um, and I am just 
buried under it, just fighting my way out, just mm. screaming like, hey, I I don't want to feel this way anymore. I don't I don't want to be depressed. I want to live a normal life. Um but sometimes it it got to the point where it felt uncontrollable. So recently, um, I would say a couple of months ago, uh, I was I was feeling depressed. I was feeling very withdrawn. I didn't want to talk about it with anyone because I didn't want to feel like a burden. I didn't want to scare anyone about how I was feeling because, like you said, there's there's so much stigma surrounding mental illness and. It's something that so many people suffer from, but we just don't ever talk about it because it's it's heavy. That's you know, right. it's a it's yeah. a heavy reality. But I was I was very withdrawn. I didn't want to talk to anybody. I was sleeping any chance that I had got and I was just feeling hopeless, mm. just like I don't think I'm ever going to get out of this funk and I started to feel worthless. Like I am not you know, I'm not pretty enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not happy enough. Because I think a lot of times value is is measured by how happy you are, or mm. at least how hap- at least how happy you seem to be. Right to other people. Yeah, exactly. And I, the one thing I'm definitely learning from my depression is that nothing is as is ever as it seems. <laughs> <laughs> so true. You know, yeah. In you just don't like know I, who's walking around beside you, seeming just fine. Yeah, and the more open I am about it with people, the more open they are about it with me. Yeah, it's like magic, right? Yeah, you know they, you know I like I said I was really embarrassed, but about to talk about it. But when I finally did, then I learned that other people a lot of other people are going through the same thing I'm going through. And, and I don't know why we just aren't as open about it anymore. I think that, or we just aren't as open about it. I think that if we were more open about it, I think, I think maybe we would reduce the amount of depression that Hmm. people have. Right. Um, Something about the silence of it is, is amplifying it maybe. I think so, you know, because like I said, being withdrawn is is just one of those symptoms. Um, But anyway, so I was just also feeling hopeless and I was honestly feeling worthless. And I even began to have thoughts of suicide. I mean, I haven't tried to harm myself or anything like that, but it kind of just felt like these thoughts were just coming in and out of my head. And I thought, okay, I... I can't think this way anymore because I want to live. I don't, even though there may be this small desire to die, the will to live is so much stronger Hmm. and I need to get help. You know, I, I thought, well, I finally have health insurance, so I guess I can go get help (laughs) Right. because before, you know, like I, I felt, I felt a lot, a really great deal of depression about a year ago and I was unemployed. I didn't have any health insurance at all. And that kept me from going into getting help. And I kind of just had to suffer through it, but I started exercising and I feel like that really helped me out a lot. Hmm. Um, so thank, thank goodness for that, that I was beginning to work out and kind of had this natural remedy to, to kind of help me get through the depression. But, um, I called, 
um, I called the suicide prevention hotline and, um, and I said, look, I'm, I'm having thoughts of suicide. I'm not trying to hurt myself. Um, you know, I don't have an intention to do that, but I'm just thinking of different ways that I can, that I can do this. And I don't want to feel this way anymore. Can you please help me? So I went and, um, I admitted myself to a psychiatric hospital. When I first got there, I thought, oh my gosh, I'm way in over my head. <laughs> how am I going to, how am I going to talk to my work about this? Um, you know, and I, I remember I went up to the nurse and I said, can I please go home? I, I was way in over my head. I, I think, I think I'll be okay. I think I'm fine. And I remember the nurse saying, you know, it's a scary thing. It's new. The first couple of days are the hardest, but but you're making a brave decision to be here. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and that was, you know, for the first couple of days, I was honestly embarrassed. I thought, has my life really come down to this? But there were, but people just kept reminding me, Sierra, this is a brave decision. There's nothing wrong with going to the hospital. It's okay. You're getting help. It's better than, staying silent about it and or even worse ending your life right and um and so i talked to counselors i talked to i talked to psychiatrists there were things that happened when in my as a child um that i talked about that i just hadn't thought about in years cuz i thought i had gotten over it right. um but you know, and I thought, well, a lot of a lot of this kind of makes me who I am today. And I met I met other people who were just like me. You know, they lived these normal lives, they worked jobs, they liked to have fun, but the depression just got the best of them. And they ended up in the hospital with me. Hmm. And I still talk to these people hmm. and it's good to see that they are doing better. And, um, it was great to just know that I wasn't alone. Um, and I think like that's probably the biggest challenge about depression is just thinking like, oh, I must be the only person who is going through this because nobody talks about it. <laughs> well, and it's inherently and, isolating because you don't want to interact with anyone. And so the nature of the, the illness isolates you on top of it. Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's, an, it, like I said, it's, it's kind of embarrassing to talk about because you think that you think that you're being weak. You right. think that you're weak. You think that you can't fun. You must not be able to function properly because you're depressed. And that's not true. You know, depression affects so many people. Um, I've been listening to a lot of Ted talk series about depression and this one guy said, um, you know, depression within 20 years may, may be the next or maybe second to blindness in the disability that affects people in wow. our country. Huh. And um, so, and I've talked to people who, there were people who reached out to me after I had posted what I said on Facebook that they said, thank you so much for saying that because because I have been feeling, I've been feeling depressed myself and I've been thinking about getting help and you just 
affirmed for me that I should reach out and I should get help and I should talk about this. And that felt good. And I've always enjoyed helping people. And I I would love to just be open about this. And it's, it's neat because um, recently I, I've been more open about it to people who don't even, who even aren't experiencing depression. Um, I was talking about it with a coworker and, you know, she's always pretty happy and chipper and, I was just telling her how I was feeling and she said, I just think that that's so great that you're just open about it and yeah. that you're honest, that you're being honest about your life and, and who you are. And she said, that just makes you seem very strong. <laughs> wow. That's amazing. I mean, I think if I've learned one thing by doing this podcast, it's that people respond to authenticity and honesty and openness. I mean, I think we live in a society, as you've said so beautifully yourself in the last couple of minutes, that really values um, certain types of strengths that make it seem like we can't share ourselves you know, more openly if that makes us seem less uh, suitable in the dating world or in the work world or just in typical social circumstances, you know, we don't want to be the weak one or the sad one or the one with problems in quotes, you know? So, um, we fake it. And, and the minute someone comes along and just says, not with a bunch of like self pity necessarily, but just says, Hey, this is what I'm experiencing. And, um, because I trust you and I care about our friendship, I just wanted to share that with you. And, you know, I feel like I should be able to talk about it to a friend and, and, or even publicly on Facebook in the, in the beautiful way that you did, which was just, I think an invitation for others to both connect and relate to what you were saying. And also an invitation for them to open up about their needs, whether it was publicly on Facebook or just to themselves or a private other person, it really felt invitational. It made me reach out to you too. And I, it, and I immediately choked up. I, I remember feeling this deep sense of being able to relate to what you were saying as I've struggled with uh, anxiety and depression myself and, and feeling like how courageous and, and brave this is. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I listened to this TED talk about this guy who had depression and he, I love what he said about this, but he said, when someone breaks their arm, people rush to sign your cast. Right. But when, when someone has kind of a mental breakdown, they run the other way. Whoa, that's deep. <laughs> it is. And I, I, that just made me think that is so true. And I think, I think that just really, I think that that just really kept me in the in the dark about all of it. Just the idea that, you know, it might scare someone away, but I am learning that it's doing just the opposite. You know, I kind of feel like people are embracing it more. I'm meeting people who not only have depression but have anxiety or they have bipolar disorder or they have PTSD and they're sharing about themselves and about their lives with me. And I feel like there's just this deeper connection than just this superficial, like, Oh yeah, let's get together for a drink and just really talk about nothing. But, um, mm, it's so beautiful what you're saying. 
I, I'm reading, um, you know, it's funny how you relate everything someone says to the thing you're reading at that moment. But um, I've, I've read a few of Brene Brown's books, as I'm sure you have, or seen her TED Talks. And I'm, yes. I'm reading her current book right now, Rising Strong. And like everything you're saying is just reminding me of the stuff I've heard from her, too, about the way that vulnerability draws us into strength, you know, that we think it's going to put us at this one down position, that it's going to make us less than our peers. And instead, the surprise is that it invites us into this deeper place with people and relationships. And the ones that, you know, respond badly to that, they, they weren't really friends in the first place. You know, those weren't people that really had your back or really, really were your friends, perhaps, or perhaps they're in a place where they just can't relate to it yet. Um, but right. But this vulnerability is... is Something it's almost like fertilizer that you know just makes things grow more beautifully, and yet we run from it, you know, in in a way that just is counterintuitive. Absolutely, um, you know, and and one of my friends told me because I remembered I told someone about my depression and my struggles, and I kind of felt like this friend of mine looked the other way, and so I was talking about it with another friend, and and I said, you know, I I feel embarrassed. I feel like I kind of went over the, went over the edge with this. And my friend said, well, Sierra, that's not a reflection of who you are. That's just, that's a reflection of them. You know, like you, like you said, um, you know, like you find out who your real friends are, you find out who you truly connect with and you have these deeper relationships. They're not so superficial. And I'll be honest, Ryan, um, you know, I, I wish I could I wish I could say that um this is like any other Jesus testimony where after I admit that there's a problem everything suddenly becomes better but you know I still struggle with depression on and off again of I still course. have to take I still have to take medication um I still have to find ways to cope with it um I like to paint I like to go out on walks um sometimes I like to look up funny, stupid YouTube videos to get a laugh out of me. Sure. (laughs) Um, And sometimes I do have to reach out to people and say, hey, look, I'm really struggling. And, you know, I'm not I'm not cured. I don't know if depression I don't think depression is something that can be cured. It can definitely be treated. But, you know, I think that this is just something that I may have to have throughout my life. And it's just something I'm going to be constantly getting help for and even when things are good and even when things are going great and I'm not feeling depressed and I'm not feeling sad and I feel energized I'm still gonna get I still want to get help I still want to talk to a therapist I still want to exercise because depression is just not one of those things that just plateaus and you just you're just healed of it (laughs) right and I and I think that's you know just a really really important point, you know, because, and you've, you're starting to develop a kind of muscle memory that you can remember when you felt really deeply depressed and you can remember when you rose out of that feeling and what it felt like to not be depressed and the kind of, you know, you learn these habits that, okay, last time I felt this way, I went for a long walk or I went for a hike or I went for a jog or something and that helped. It didn't cure it, like you said, but it helped. So let me do that, you know? So you start to think like, okay, I know what to do. I know some of these mechanisms that I can use and not coping mechanisms, but like you said, treatment, like ways that we can, um, you know, treat 
the illness that we have. I mean, if you have diabetes, then you know to eat certain things and not eat other things. And if you take a chance and have a big piece of cake and ice cream, you know, you know, you're going to have to take some medicine or you're going to have to take care of yourself the next day or something like that. So, you know, we, we just begin to learn like, okay, this is what my life is like. This is who I am. Like you said so beautifully a minute ago, this is what's made you the person that you are, both your past experiences as well as your experience of depression now makes you Sierra. It makes you who you are. And that's a beautiful thing that you can offer to your friends and family and and loved ones. It's, I think it's uh, just an acceptance of who you are and, and learning, you know, how to be the best version of yourself. Thank you. I, I really appreciate hearing that Ryan. (laughs) I wanted to ask you uh, just uh, as we're slowly running out of time here. And I, I, you know, I hate that we are um, because this has been such a really rich conversation for me personally. I was watching the timer on the, on the podcast uh, recording the first, roughly, almost exactly, first half of our conversation was about your religious upbringing and your deconversion, and this half has been about depression. And you know, a listener might be thinking, are these two things just totally random subjects uh, that happen to intersect in your life, or or do they relate to each other in some way? Can you briefly reflect on that? Sure. Um, when I was a Christian, I didn't think of it as a chemical imbalance in my mind. I thought of it as being spiritually attacked. Okay. And so I had to just pray harder or I had to have people pray over me or um, I had to just cry it out somehow and just beg God to help heal me. And now that it's just me, it's not, you know, I don't have a God to get me through this. It's me. And I have psychiatrists and counselors and and realistic, tangible things to get me through all of this. I Hmm. feel like it's so much more beneficial. (laughs) It's, it's like, I can just acknowledge the problem for what it is. It's, it's a real problem. It's not this evil force that's trying to take over me or, or cause me grief or misery. It's, it is something within me that is happening, but it is also something that I myself can take care of. Hmm. And, I think the fact that I no longer have to rely on a God um, to heal me, it kind of helps me with just thinking, okay, um, I can get this taken care of a lot quicker than just relying on a God to to help me through it. You really took your power back and, and just took control of your life in a way that that uh, you couldn't really before. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I also just think, and not only do I consider myself an atheist, I consider myself a humanist too. Right. And I, I think like just embracing that humanism and just reaching out to other people because I believe in problem solving and realistic solutions to problems. And it's more realistic to just reach out to a friend and say, Hey, I'm struggling or, to go for a walk, then just shut yourself up in your room and, and pray until, until it's gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's been just very helpful. I feel like, I feel like it's more productive to be de- depressed without a God, <laughs> if, that, <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I mean, cause I think it leads to tangible outcomes. Well, at least it yeah. can. Yeah. You know, um, and it's just, 
you know, I, I have real people to rely on than this person who may or may not be real. Have people said to you, um, well, you know, of course you're depressed, Sierra. You, you gave up the source of your joy. Well, it's interesting because that's something that I have – no one's asked me that. But that is something that I have questioned about. I've thought – there have been times where I've been so depressed where I thought, well, maybe if I just went back to Christianity, maybe it'll just be easier. But then I thought, well, wait a second. I was depressed even when I was a Christian. Well, okay. <laughs> it does – it doesn't it doesn't really change anything. It's not, you know, when I hear all these conversion stories about people that they say, "Oh, well, I thought that when I was going to become a Christian, it was just suddenly going to be easy and life was going to be great." But then they talk about all the struggles that they have and the god that they have to reach out to. So, and how Satan redoubles his efforts now that you're a Christian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I haven't had anybody say like, well, if only you turned to God, then, then, you know, life would be easier. But I, I have questioned that myself, Yeah. but I thought, well, maybe this is the reason, maybe the reason why I'm depressed is because I no longer have this belief system to rely on anymore. And then I just remembered to myself, I just, re I think, well, no, I still was depressed even when I was a Christian. This is not a thing about belief or non-belief. It's a human thing. Wow. So well said. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't, yeah. Mental illness does not just, you know, pick out Muslims or Hindus or Buddhists or Christians or atheists. It's just, we all experience some various levels of and I actually really believe this. I, I feel like we all have a certain level of mental health and mental, you know, unhealth or disease, you know, that that we manage all of all of us, you know, and right. some have a an easier time. Some naturally live to be 110 and some don't make it that long. And some have a, a more naturally uh, healthy mental outlook and, and others, uh, you know, struggle a little bit. It's just part of our makeup as human beings. Well, and one thing that I've thought a lot about to myself is, okay, I suffer from depression. I have, I have thought about suicide many times in my life, um, but I know that there is hope, and I know that despite a lot of crappy things that happen in the world, um, I'm still capable of having a good day. I'm still capable of doing good for other people, and people are still capable of doing good things for me too, and that is probably the number that is probably the biggest thing that keeps me going is that goodness does exist and even with this struggle it doesn't define me right <laughs> there are other there are other parts of me you know i'm not a depressed person i'm a person who has depression there you go oh it's a huge distinction isn't it yeah absolutely and and that's definitely what gets me through all of that it's just like okay i am I am not depressed. I am not emotional. I am I am not a happy person. I am a person who happens to suffer from depression and who can also choose to be happy. Yeah, I mean, I think what you're illustrating is something that I actually just spent some time talking to Brian, um, you know, our my partner in, in all of this about this past weekend. It's just that, you know, we have to get to, I think part of the healing process is to get some separateness from our feelings and to get right. some separateness from our thoughts, you know, to defuse them, as he says, you know, where we, we can actually sort of look at that thought and say, oh, that's a thought I'm having. Um, 
that's a legitimate thought. I understand, you know, how it works in my life, but I don't have to be that thought. You know, it's a thought that comes into my head and then it can go away. And another thought can come into my head and I can watch them come and go, which is kind of this mindfulness practice that I've been trying to get a little bit better at in my my life as well. And just listening to you talk about all these things, I think, man, you you really have a a level of uh, understanding and and sophistication about all of this that um, I'm just so glad you're sharing it because I know other people will really benefit from it. Thank you. I, it's good to hear about, it's good to hear that. It's funny. Cause honestly, I was, I was kind of nervous, you know, coming onto the podcast and thinking, well, I'm not, I'm not in a, such a great place myself right now. But then I thought, no, I need to be honest. And like you said, I need to be authentic. And that you qualifies know, you even more. It's again, those myths that we <laughs> tell ourselves, like in order to be qualified to talk about this, I have to be perfectly healed. Like what? No, who said that? Your qualification is your experience and that's it thank you so much ryan thank you so much for tuning into this episode of the x-files a special feature of the life after god podcast and again a special thank you to sierra ramirez for so courageously telling her story both about her deconversion and the way that she coped with the challenges of that and facing her family, as well as her struggle with depression. I hope Sierra has inspired you to seek help if you need it. Uh, Certainly, if you're having thoughts of suicide, please don't wait another day, another minute, before you reach out and talk to someone about your thoughts and seek the help that is readily available to you. I'm again so encouraged that there is life after God, that there is life after and during depression. The more I talk to to Brian about our plans to expand our coaching services at Life After God, the more this kind of story reminds me that we're on the right track, that many people have unmet needs as a result of leaving their faith or that are compounded by their loss of faith and the way it affects their social life. I'm excited to be a part of a community that supports each other through these difficult times and creates opportunities for healing and um, to celebrate the, the victories that we have, even if they're just momentary and temporary victories, uh, where we can begin to see the light shining again and, and really feel like we're living life to the fullest. We have this one life to live, and I want you to live it to the fullest. I want my life to be lived to the fullest, and that's what we're really all about here at Life After God. To learn more about Life After God, you can go to our website at lifeaftergod.org. On that website, you will find all the podcasts going back over a year and links to our social media. There's a way that you can support us financially there on the website through our Patreon page, which is patreon.com slash lifeaftergod. If you enjoyed this story, please subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You can go to spreaker.com slash lifeaftergod and click follow there on our page and you'll be notified every time there's a new episode. If you have a story you'd like to share on X-Files, please write to me at ryan at lifeaftergod.org. Tell me a little bit about your story and I will uh, chat with you about possibly being on a future episode of the X-Files. Tune into the next episode where I'll be talking to Mike McCargway about his new book, Finding God in the Waves. Mike is an interesting guy known as Science Mike on the interwebs. He was an evangelical Christian who lost his faith, 
and then found his way back to belief in God. And his book tells a little bit about that story. I'm going to be asking him some questions about that experience, and I hope that you'll listen along and send me your reactions as well. Until then, I'm your host, Ryan Bell, and this has been The X-Files, Stories of Life After God. This is the smell of a warm three-day-old egg salad sandwich in a wimpy trash bag. Wimpy, wimpy, wimpy! And this is the smell of that same sandwich in a hefty, ultra-strong trash bag with new Fabuloso lemon scent. Hefty, hefty, hefty! <sighs> smell the difference? When life gives you stinky, get Hefty Ultra Strong with new Fabuloso lemon scent. It smells like clean, freshly picked lemons. So no matter what's inside your trash, you can stop the stink and smell the lemon.